0: Hey, good evening. Let's try it again. Good evening. good evening. I think we have sound. I was on a streak, was like three Sunday nights in a row where I broke something technologically. I remember that, but so far so good. I don't want to jinx it, but the microphone's working, so that's a good sign. Uh, it is good to see you guys this evening. I'm glad that you're here together. Love the singing on Sunday night. Appreciate Josh leading songs uh, all day for us today and uh, picking songs that go along with what we're talking about uh, with our study in the Word of God. When you were a kid, did you ever play that game called mercy? That's what we called it. Maybe you called it uncle. There it is, right? Uncle Jesse. But anyway, um, and mercy, that works too, right? Uh, The game where um, you, you grab the other person's hands and for, I don't know, as long as you could stand it, it usually didn't last very long, you just tried to man up on the other person. Just squeeze their hands as hard as you could until they cried out for mercy. You ever play that as a kid? You just, I don't know why you enjoy flitting, inflicting pain on your siblings so much. But you like to play that with your younger brother maybe. And uh, and and the game went like that. That's how it went. You just kind of see who could inflict the most pain on the other person. and And then that's really as a kid. That's the only time I can remember saying the word mercy. I guess growing up. In my mind, that's the only time that you would. Beg for mercy. Oh, to be young again. Oh, to not understand what it means when we say, May God have mercy on this world. When so many in our world, so many in our world would rather look at a blog than the Bible. When so many in our world would rather fire back than hold back we'd rather speak than listen we'd rather post than pray we'd rather be liked than be honest we'd rather write open letters than go to our brother in private. We'd rather turn to Facebook than turn to the Lord. We'd rather consult our favorite author than consult the author of life. We'd rather blurt out our thoughts than keep them to ourselves. We'd rather bully than serve. We'd rather debate than submit. We'd rather justify than surrender. We'd rather win the argument than the soul. We'd rather call each other names than call upon the name of the Lord. We'd rather curse our enemies than bless them. We'd rather burn our bridges than build them. We'd rather be an expert than be humble. We'd rather be glorified than be humbled. We'd rather beat up than build up. We'd rather insult than have mercy. We'd rather shout than listen. We'd rather repay than pray. You know, I never used to watch the news, but then Facebook introduced the news feed. And now I remember why I never watched the news. The older I get, the more I realize our need to cry out for mercy. And I look at this mess of a world that we live in. And I think, may God have mercy on us. There's a part of me, the, a part of all of us, that just feels sad at the killing, at the racism. At the hard heartedness, at the lack of compassion, at where we are as a society, at, at my news feed, at, at the hate spewing on, on both sides uh, of whatever the issue of the day is, at the way people are, are treating one another, at the words coming out of people's mouths that, that don't know the Lord, and at the words coming out of people's mouths that claim that they do know the Lord. I'm sad for my kids. Because we're three and four, and this is where we are now. That our society's lack of knowledge and concern for the Word of God and the way that it's only getting worse. May God have mercy on us. And then you turn on your radio and you hear little Bobby McFerrin just whistling and saying, Don't worry, be happy. And you're like, Really? Really, Bobby McFerrin? And you're ready to hunt this guy down and say, listen, I don't know if you're out of touch or what your deal is, but I'm not so sure it's that easy. I'm just supposed to go on and just be happy. I'm just supposed to, don't worry, be happy. This, this works for you. This is your form of therapy. Just don't think about it, it'll work. Don't worry, be happy. You know why it's hard for us to look around and be happy? It's because we weren't supposed to be able to look around and be happy. I know I should write gift cards for Hallmark. I get that. But what I mean is is we're not supposed to be looking here for happiness. This world is not our home. We're supposed to be looking above, looking to Christ. It's the beauty of Matthew 5. It's the beauty of the Beatitudes where Jesus is telling people, he's speaking to the people there that really aren't pleased with their present circumstances. They're very unhappy. They're, they're really kind of unhappy with the cards that they've been dealt. And in some situations, they're just really, they're really downtrodden. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you can be happy. Perhaps you're weary tonight. Perhaps you're weary of your circumstances. Perhaps the words of Christ and the Beatitudes have, have never rung truer for you in your season of life right now than they will this evening when we read them. Isn't it amazing, by the way? I had this thought as I prepared how the word of God as you look back over the generations and generations like before me and before us that maybe went through the great depression or or things even before that. And they're able to look at these passages and they were able to speak to them exactly where they were. Isn't it beautiful that the way the word of God always rings true over and over and over again. Look with me tonight, we'll be in Matthew five, starting in verse three, where Jesus, we call them the Beatitudes, they're blessings that he gives. To those that are hurting and going through tough times. Let's read this together. It's Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. And I apologize if the writing is too small on the screen, but get a Bible out if you need to and follow along. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you we're talking about mercy tonight and, and by the way if you were here last week i know a lot of you are on fall break and it's good to have a, a lot of our crowd back but if you're here last week we we talked about what is forgiveness and, and mercy is really closely associated to that word forgiveness They're very closely connected, as we'll study tonight. Uh, But if you're here last week, we talked about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And if you remember the analogy, I had to share this, um, where where David was talking about how you don't forgive a a police officer for, like, writing you a ticket. That's not forgiveness. Um, Our our little girl, Holly, uh, sometimes she gets in trouble. I know that that shocks a lot of you, uh, but she's, she's three and, uh, and when, she, when she gets in trouble and we give her a spanking and she's just crying and crying and crying, uh, she'll say, like through tears to her eyes, she'll say, I forgive you, I forgive you. That's, that's not what it means uh, to forgive, I appreciate that. But Matthew five verse seven, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. When we hear that, I go, okay, that's great. That's great. So there's mercy for me. All I have to do is is just, I get it because God just, he just gives me mercy. Well, not so fast. That's not exactly how it works. There's sort of a catch. Who is it? Who is it that will receive mercy? Merciful. That's the question that we gotta change a little bit in our minds. It's not just, hey, can, can I have mercy from the Lord? We really need to ask, am I merciful? Am I someone who has mercy? Before we get really deep into the lesson, I feel like there's a few passages we need to consider that that do a lot of, of great teaching on mercy and from these passages i think we're going to be able to to draw some some great conclusions some applications and uh, connections to where we find ourselves today so here's some some merciful passages the first one is in matthew 18 and we'll spend a lot of our time in matthew 18 so if you want to turn there uh, please do that feel free to turn there matthew 18 uh, verse 21 matthew 18 21 then peter came up and said to him Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus, how many times do I have to show mercy to my brother? How about seven? That's a nice, that's a nice Bible number. Jesus says, no, that's it's the number of perfection, but that's not exactly enough times. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave, all, forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's this passage teach us about being merciful? A few things I want us to notice from the story, and and by the way, the the subject of mercy, if we just took that that title, you could do a whole series uh, just on the mercy, the the things that the Bible has to teach about. It It has so much to say about it, but here's a few things that I wanna pull from from this story. Uh, Life lesson number one, the mercy of the kingdom ought to be like the mercy of the king. The mercy of the church, the kingdom ought to have Ought to be like the king. Ought to be the same kind of mercy. If the Lord is our king, his mercy must govern us as his kingdom and as individuals. It's easy to look over at the, at the, it's easy to look over the very beginning of this parable. But check it out one more time. Look how it begins. Do not miss this. What's this a story about? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The kingdom may be compared a king. It's a parable about the kingdom of heaven. It's a parable about how the church ought to be like the king, how the mercy of the church ought to be like the mercy of the king. Probably a lot of us relate to the the beginning of this parable because it begins with a king who's ready to settle the score. Uh, I ran across an article uh, this week that ran a few years ago in Christian Woman uh, that I want to read to you. When she was a small child, Mishmana's mother died. She was living with her aunt in Haiti when a hurricane came in 2004. She walked through knee-deep cholera-infested water to get to her grandmother's house to seek refuge. After the storm, food and clean water were scarce. So a family brought Mishmana to Sunlight Children's Home because she believed such a bright girl should have a chance at a better life. Modachi or Mordecai in English, was a little boy of only four or five when the authorities contacted Roberta for help. His father went to work each day and simply put him outside to care for himself until he returned at nightfall. The father gratefully relinquished his son over to this woman who was known to take children into her home. Lofane was the son of a poor street vendor. His mother gone, he was often left alone to fend for himself with no food or clothing. Neighbors complained to the police that his father did not pro- provide proper care for the young son and soon Roberta was called to assist. The man initially refused help and Lafayne continued to behave uh, to, to believe that poor boys were not entitled to happiness or an education like other children. When he had attended school, the teachers had beat Lafayne and made fun of him, calling him a poor boy in front of the other students. Why would a young Roberta Edwards in 1995 want to live in a country that is one of the poorest and least developed countries in the world? Why would someone want to leave the comforts and security of America and go to a place where four out of five people are living in poverty? Why? Because Roberta wanted to make a difference in their lives. Roberta made that difference in the lives of more than 31 children by turning her home in Port-au-Prince into sunlight children's home. With a house full of children from age 13 months to 19 years, she gave her life to nurturing, teaching, and building Christian character in the lives of her children. Roberta once said, I always wanted this to be their home, not an orphanage. Every child called her mama. I think it's safe to say that there's a part of all of us that wants to settle the score, that would love to hunt the two gunmen down and make them feel the pain that they've inflicted on so many. If we could find the four year old boy, we'd love to take him where he's safe and we'd love for justice to do what justice should do we think there's a part of us that wants to settle the score and the story in Matthew 18 begins with a king who's ready to make make things right and settle the score he's ready to take what he's owed he's ready to get what he is supposed to get he's ready for justice it's payday And so he brings in a servant who's in some serious debt. Some scholars believe that a talent was the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages for a worker. How in the world does this guy owe 10,000 talents? They didn't have Lamborghinis back then. I don't understand. What in the world was he doing with all that money? We don't know. But in verse 25, there's no way he can pay it back. So the master orders him to be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he had to make payment. Then the servant falls on his knees and he begs, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. There's a part of of the king's heart that wants to settle the score, but then there's the other part of the king's heart. Then there's the other part of our heart, the part that that wants to hunt down the gunmen so that we can show them the mercy of our king, to show them that Jesus loves them and we love them and so did the woman that they shot. But sadly, the story doesn't end there. That same servant turns around and says, you know what? I'm going to get what I'm owed. I'm going to get what I deserve. I'm going to settle the score. And he goes out and he finds somebody that owes him 100 denarii. That's 100 days wages. It's pennies compared to what he owes his master no comparison between the two debts. Nevertheless, this guy goes out and he's ready to sell the score and he takes matters into his own hands and he takes the guy by the throat and he says, give me what I owe. I'm gonna make you pay. And the man says, have patience with me and I'll repay you. The servant says, not gonna happen. He puts him in his place, puts him in prison, completely ignoring the fact that he's just been forgiven and shown the great mercy of the king. The life lesson here is that all of us are in debt, but all of us are offered forgiveness. Does sin really bother us? Do we really understand what it means when we sin? Romans 6.23 is one you probably can quote, where the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Do we really get that the the sin of gossip carries the same price tag as the sin of murder. That the sin of, of adultery is, is the same as the sin of, of lying. And a wage, a wage is a payment. The wages of sin is death. A wage is a payment. It's, it's what you get for what you do. So, so what should you get when you sin? Death. Sin carries the price tag of death. This one's hard, okay? But church... We gotta be careful about which sins we choose to be disgusted by. Let me challenge you on something. You're watching a TV show and there's a homosexual couple on TV and you think that's disgusting and you change the channel and a show comes on with a man and woman in bed with each other. Do you change the channel? Does that disgust you too? Does that same sin disgust us? I don't think the answer is to just ignore sin and keep watching. The answer is to view all sin the same way that God does. It's okay to struggle, but it's never okay to sin. And I've got to say that after studying this parable, one of the things that that really stuck out to me in a way that I'd never seen before uh, happens in verse 31. Watch this. Uh, Verse 31 says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When the servant saw the way that all this went down, the way that the, the forgiven servant had, had just had behaved, it, it distressed them, the Bible says. It distressed them, it bothered them, it made them feel uncomfortable, it, it troubled them. It should bother us when, when the people of the kingdom aren't behaving like the king. That should bother us. Um, we expect the world to behave the way that the world behaves, but it's distressing to us when it's our fellow servants that are behaving in a way that goes against the mercy of the king. For just a few minutes, I want to talk to you as, as just like one servant to another, okay? Just, just a couple of things that, that I think might need to be addressed about some distressing behavior uh, of some of our fellow servants. Uh, number one, from one servant to another Am I burning bridges to Christ or building bridges to Christ? Am I burning bridges or building bridges to Christ? Uh, From time to time, I see things on Facebook or Twitter when people get really worked up and really upset uh, where they draw a line on the sand and they say, okay, if you don't like this or if you disagree, we're not friends anymore. Really? Um, The only way to lead people to Christ is to build a relationship with them. A relationship is, is the bridge to the heart. That's the, way that, that's the way that people are led to the Lord. Are we, are we defriending or befriending? Luke six twenty seven, beautiful passage. I wish we could study it in more depth. It says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? If you love your Facebook friends, good job. But even sinners love those who love them. Is merciful, man. We could spend another thirty minutes on that passage. It's rich, but do we burn bridges to Christ or build bridges to Christ? Sometimes I'm a little bit baffled at some of the posts and comments from some of my friends on Facebook, and uh, I'm afraid we're we're burning bridges that are meant to lead people to Christ instead of, of building them. The love of Christ is not a love that's only meant for those who believe what we believe. It's for those that it' be shown to everybody uh, should be shown towards everybody and everything we do, and everybody we meet, whether it 's at school or in the workplace or even people on social media. Number two, from, from one servant to another, don't ruin the hearers. Don't ruin the hearers. This is a quote from Second Timothy uh, two verses 14 through 16, where Paul's writing to Timothy and a young worker, a young minister in the kingdom, and says, "Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words." which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Wow, that's rich. Anybody else need that other than me? Quit arguing. Don't, don't just argue for the sake of arguing. During some of these, during some of these epic uh, rants, that you see online. Uh, during some of these epic back and forth arguments that you might catch on, on social media, um, I've wondered if Paul would be like, hey, while you guys were arguing how much you, you love or hate gun control laws, 48 people were baptized in Sudan and four new churches were started. I wonder if he'd ever chime in on that, um, but that's none of my business. Um, Christians, we've got work to do. Uh, we've got a world to say. Stop worrying about winning arguments and let's win souls. Number three, from, from one servant to another, every, not every conversation needs your voice. Man, uh, despite, despite the message that, that the world is sending to my generation and those coming up behind me, not every conversation needs your voice. I've got a Twitter. I should say stuff. No, you shouldn't. I've got, I've got a computer, I should, I should post things. No, not all the time, please don't. Um, just because you think a thought doesn't mean you need to say it out loud. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This summer, I visited the Civil Rights Museum. We went there on, on our trip, our chisel trip, uh, this summer, and uh, wow, what an amazing place. It's in Memphis, if you've never been before. Uh, it is just an amazing experience, a sobering experience. Uh, the things that, to, to look at some of the things that, that African Americans had to endure, uh, it's heart-wrenching and it's eye-opening. Um, one of the things that, that I learned a little bit more about was, as some of you probably remember, were sit-ins, where people would go, where African-Americans would go and and sit in restaurants peacefully because they had the right to and would just sit there, but segregation was still going on and, and people didn't like it, but it was a peaceful protest to the time. They were arrested and they were mocked and they were beaten and they were looked down upon and they were spit on And usually, an angry mob would attack who just really didn't get it. You know what they did? Not a thing. You know what they said? Not a thing.
1: And you know, I couldn't
0: help but think about Jesus. He was arrested, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was looked down upon, he was spit on all by an angry mob who just didn't get it. And you know what he did? You know what he said? Not a thing. You know what he needed to do? What he needed to say? Not a thing. Sometimes saying nothing is exactly what we need to do. And it speaks volumes more than the cries of a mob. If what we're gonna say isn't gonna help build a bridge to Christ, please don't say it. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Before you post about why you hate this politician or why all lives matter or whatever it is, if it's gonna push someone away from Christ, is it really worth it? No post, no comment, no opinion, no thing is worth losing the opportunity to reach a soul for Christ over. From one servant to another, number four, if you're distressed, talk to the king about it. What an important point. If you're distressed, talk to the king about it. Um, Here's an important thing to notice what did the distressed servants do when they were distressed? Where did they go? They went on Facebook and they told everybody why they were so upset and they tagged 14 people and they put a picture of themselves with an angry face. (laughs) They tagged everybody they knew and they blasted everybody and they shared the status on hip Mount Juliet and they let everybody in the community know just how sorry that that Christian hypocrite was that they know. No, that's not at all what they did. When they were distressed, they went and they talked to the king about it. And, guys, we got to do the same. Verse 31 When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. What did they do? They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Do you like to run your mouth? Do you like to gossip? Do you like to put people in their place? Do you like to be right? Are you distressed? Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you nervous about the future? Are you concerned about the way that other Christians are acting? Whatever it is that's causing you to be distressed, our king wants us to talk to him about it. We'll wrap up with this final life lesson from the story. Final point that I wanna draw from the story. If, If you want mercy, if you want mercy, give it and you'll get it. If you want mercy, give it and you'll get it. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This parable could be, broken down into three words, payment, plea, and pity. The king was, was filled with pity when he heard his servants cry. Will you show pity to your fellow servants when they wrong you and when they say the wrong thing and they, when they don't do what they were supposed to do, remember, you and I have been shown great pity. And if you withhold it, if I withhold it, it'll be withhold, withheld from us. As we close, I hope we'll all take an honest look inside of our hearts. And I want us to really be honest about this. Am I a person of mercy? Am I a person of mercy? Have I been merciful? The things that I've shared this past week, the conversations that I've had, the, the jokes I've laughed at, the things I've shared online, have they been merciful? Or have you been ruthless? I mean, mean, heartless. And if so, what's wrong? Make it right. Remember when David had a free shot on King Saul? They're in the cave, and, and David's hiding for his life. And here comes King Saul, and he's got a free shot. And, and David's friends are right there beside him, and they're agging him on like, David, look, the Lord brought the king right here to you. You could take his life. This is God's will, David. Just kill him. Take his life. It's free shot. It's yours. Pay him what he's owed. Remember that parable about the merciful king? David was a merciful king. He didn't didn't step on the neck of King Saul and cut his head off, he could have. But instead, he doesn't do that. Instead, he shows him mercy. He doesn't do the easy thing. He doesn't take the cheap shot. He doesn't do what the crowd is encouraging to do because David's a person of mercy. What about you? Are you a person of mercy? Do you take revenge? Do you make jokes about the poor? Do Do you make fun of those who have a job that you don't consider to be a real job? Do you make racist jokes? That person, students, that everybody at your school calls gay, do you make fun of him too? Because that may be his struggle. How would we like it if everybody knew our struggle and mocked us for it? A celebrity is exposed and becomes part of a huge scandal. Our world thrives on that stuff. They love gossip. What about you? Do you rejoice in that? Is that really something to rejoice over? When you hear some juicy gossip about somebody that you don't like and it turns out to be true and it's bad stuff, what kind of remarks do you make? Do you laugh? Do you mock? Do you say, I told you so? Blessed are the merciful For they shall be shown mercy. Jesus says, you want mercy? Give it and you'll get it. Have I used the events this last week to connect people to Christ or have I burned bridges? The world's a mess. The world's a mess. The government's not going to fix it. An organization a program that's not going to fix it. The only thing that can fix this kind of mess is Jesus Christ. And it's up to you and I to show him to those we meet. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Tonight, you may need to ask somebody to forgive you. You may need to call somebody tonight after church. Maybe you need to ask the church to forgive you because some things have gotten out that you're not proud of and you need forgiveness. But I know this, we all need the Lord's forgiveness. Every one of us. Without the mercy of the King, none of us would be standing here today. If we can help you in any way, I hope you'll make things right tonight with the Lord. He's a Lord of mercy. He wants to forgive you He wants to look at you one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, if we can help you.